Our text from this morning is Matthew 16, verses 21 through 28. And so hear now the word of the Lord. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this should never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a hindrance to me, for you're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. The question that comes out of, out of that text for me is, is, what does it mean to be alive? To be fully alive? What does it mean to really be alive? To really flourish? And what would that look like for you, to be, to be fully alive? Now, I tend to answer that question by thinking of things that, that I want, that I desire, that I think I'm most fully alive when I'm doing things that my heart wants, my heart longs for, my heart's desires. Right, so for me, oftentimes, being most alive is, is being on a golf course. Which for you, that is probably where you'd be fully dead. Right? But, but that's what I think. To be alive is to be doing what I want to do. What I long to do. And yet, a song came to me in a, in a moment of, of a huge decision in my life that, that gives a very different message than that. It's a song that even though is, is not written by Christians, it, it speaks to what Jesus is saying in Matthew 16. The song was War on War by a band called Wilco, and this is the lyric. You have to learn how to die if you want to be alive. That if you want to really be alive, if you want to really flourish, if you want to really enjoy life as it's meant to be lived, you have to die. You have to learn how to die. Which is what Jesus is saying here. It's the same as the, the, the lyric from Wilco. If you want to be alive, you have to learn how to die. Which raises the question, okay, how do you learn how to die? And why is it that way? Why is life that way? Why do you have to die in order to live? And, and I want to unpack what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 16 under three, three headings. If you, if, if you want to learn how to die so that you can live, you have to, to stop living in the wrong story. You have to spend your life on the right thing, and you have to see the gift in death. So first, you have to stop living in, in the wrong story. And the, the growing up, one of my family's favorite movies to watch was The Sound of Music. And for me, it was, I don't, I'd watch it. It was a little too long for my liking. And, I, and the part that never made sense to me is when the kids all sang together going to bed. Right? Because as a kid, like, you fight your parents when you go to bed. You don't line up on the staircase and sing three-part harmony together. Right? That's not how it works. Right? Parents, that's not how it works. And so it always, it always rang a little untrue to me. And, and then when I, I began to watch more movies about... The time period, Sound of Music, is about World War II. Just things began to ring hollow about that movie to me. Right? Like, watch Saving Private Ryan right next to Sound of Music. And there's, there's a massive dissonance there. But the Sound of Music, it's a G-rated movie in the midst of a world that's anything but G-rated. 
And until I began to realize the actual world around that movie, or once I began to, to, to realize the actual world that that, that movie took place in, it, it just it rings a little hollow to me. It feels like, like the wrong story. And Peter's sort of having this moment in Matthew 16. He thinks he lives in the, the sound of, of music. And so when, when Jesus, he, he, last week you remember, he confessed Jesus to be the Messiah, the Son of God, which for Peter entailed a certain kind of story. That for most Jewish people in that day, to be the Messiah meant you were a powerful king who was going to go to Jerusalem and reign as a powerful king forever. Right? Everything would work out in the end. And so now Jesus is said, listen, you are right, Peter. I am the Messiah. And now he turns to his disciples and says, because I am the Messiah, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. Right? And you can imagine the disciples saying, amen. Let's go. We're going to Jerusalem. And then Jesus says, and, and I'm going to go and I'm going to suffer under the leadership there and I'm going to die. And Peter has no category for this. And if you've been listening through the Gospel of Matthew, that, that shouldn't surprise you. Think of all Peter has seen Jesus do, all we have heard of Jesus, that in Matthew 1, we get this long genealogy, which, which the whole point is to say that Jesus has royal blood flowing through him. He's the son of David. He's the son of a king. And in Matthew 4, Jesus is tempted by Satan and defeats that temptation. He's shown to have power over everything evil in the world. And then we get to Matthew 9, Jesus gets up in front of a crowd of people and says, I have the authority to forgive sins, which angers everybody in the crowd. And Jesus says, well, okay, if you're angry that I just said that, I'm going to now heal a paralyzed guy. He's going to get up and walk out of the room. And he does. And Jesus leaves that house. He goes to the house of a little girl who had died. He goes up to her room He grabs her by the hand and he pulls her out of death into life. And so we can't blame Peter when Peter says, Jesus, you're the sort of person who doesn't have to die. So Peter pulls Jesus aside and rebukes him. Far be it from you, Lord, this should never happen to you. And if you read through all the Gospels, Peter says lots of questionable things to Jesus. And Jesus never gets as angry with Peter as he gets here. He says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. It's actually the exact thing that Jesus said to um, Satan in Matthew 4, the temptation account. Go away, Satan. And when you put our text from last week, Matthew 16, up against our text with this week, last week when Jesus, or when Peter confessed Jesus to be the Messiah, Peter said to Jesus, you, only God could have revealed that to you. And this week, when, when Peter says to Jesus, you're the Messiah, which means you don't have to suffer, Jesus basically says to Peter, only Satan could have revealed that to you. Only Satan thinks that I, I shouldn't suffer. All right, it's amazing how you and I, in one breath, can honor and be in tune with the things of God and in the next be on the completely other side of things. That's where Peter's at. Confessing Jesus to be Messiah and then tempting him like Satan. And so let's, let's, let's sympathize with Peter for a I minute. Mean, it does raise a question. Well, Jesus, if he, is, if he does have all this power, why does, why, does, why does he have to die? And the Bible answers these questions in a lot of ways, but I, there's two in the heart of Matthew 16 that I, I want to push into this morning. The, the first being is clear that, that Jesus' death was always a part of the plan. That if, if you watch some popular portrayals of Jesus in his story, whether it's, it's Jesus Christ Superstar or Last Temptation of Christ, a number of movies that have been written about Jesus, you almost get the sense that Jesus died, it was an accident. 
right? Like he fell off a ladder. It never meant to happen that way, but it just sort of did. He, he was basically a nice teacher that, that accidentally got himself killed. And that's sort of his story, which Jesus, listen, you cannot take Jesus' story seriously and think that because of one, what Jesus says here in Matthew 16, but everyone who spent time with Jesus in his life, Matthew, who was a disciple of his, Peter, who was a disciple of his, who later re- wrote two New Testament letters, as well as helped write the Gospel of Mark, the, the Gospel of John, written by one of Jesus' closest friends. They all understood Jesus from the beginning of his life understood he was going to die. That's a part of the plan. It's not an accident. It was going to happen. So that's one thing here in this passage. But the other is that that Jesus has to die because that is how he's going to defeat evil. There's true, supernatural, as well as heart-wrenchingly depressing evil in this world. And and it's funny, I wrote most of the sermon on Tuesday. I thought I'd have to prove that to you a little bit this Sunday. And and right, we, we saw that this week, right? There is evil in this world that cannot be explained. And Jesus knows. He's not, this isn't Sound of Music. This is Saving Private Ryan. And he is, he is going to do something far harder than storm a beach in Normandy and take on un- oncoming gunfire. Right? Last week he said, I'm the Messiah. And therefore, I am building a kingdom. I'm building a church which is going to storm the gates of hell. I'm going to invade hell. That's what Jesus is saying his mission is that Jesus has no illusions that that means he's going to die. He's going on a rescue mission, and he will die for it. That's, that is central to the story of Jesus. And so when Paul, later in his letter to the church in Colossae, he says this about why Jesus had to die. So God disarmed the rulers and authorities, all the evil forces in this world, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Jesus which was not Jesus going to Jerusalem with weapons and force and violence. It was Jesus going to Jerusalem to die. And that we Christians believe that's how Jesus defeated everything evil in this world, was not that he took up arms himself, but that he died. And in his death, he put to shame everything evil in this world. And so Jesus looks at Peter and says, if you, if you don't realize that I have to die, that it's central to my story, you're thinking the things of man, not the things of God. And so when I, when I say the first thing, if you want to learn how to die, you have to stop living in the wrong story. It means you have to think the things of God, and God is, includes suffering in the story of the life of Jesus. And if you think you're going to navigate your own life without suffering, without pain, in this world, you're in the wrong story. You, you think you're living in Sound of Music, you're not. This isn't a G-rated world. It's, it will never be. Pain and suffering will get to us. And that's a part of why Jesus had to die. He's coming to take on this world that you and I live in and to overcome all of it. So we have to set our mind on the things of God, a realistic God who looks at this world, the evil within it, and goes head on to take it on himself. So if you want to learn how to die, you have to start with the fact, this isn't sound of music. That's the wrong story. Secondly, Jesus then moves to to talk to Peter about spending your life on the right thing. Here's what Jesus says in in verse 24. That first, Jesus ruins Peter's expectation for Jesus' life, and now Jesus is going to ruin Peter's expectation for Peter's life. This is what Jesus says in verse 24. If anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever would lose his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? 
Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Jesus says following, following him is, is a paradox. Do you want to live? You have to die. Do you want to save your life? You have to lose it. It's a paradox. And, and I want to unpack um, what Jesus is saying here, just under two, two thoughts. That, that first, what Jesus is saying about your life here is that first, it's meant to be spent. And that second, he's calling you to spend it on his kingdom. What he means first is, is your life is meant to be, to be spent. And, and for most of my life, my assumption was that, that my life, the problems of my life would get better the older I got, or at least I, I would more enjoy the problems of my next phase of life than the, the current phase of life, right? So it's why when I was in elementary school, I couldn't wait to get to middle school. When I was in middle school, I couldn't wait to get to high school. And when I was in college, I couldn't wait to get out into the workforce, right? Sure, I got problems now, but the problems coming, they're going to be better problems. I'm going to have more freedom, more ability to choose what I do in life. And, and I think sort of I was building this assumption that I was building up a hedge of happiness around myself. Right? And to, to keep out things that I didn't want to let in. And the older I got, the more control I would have over what, get, what gets in, what gets into to my life. But I, I now see, and Jesus is hinting at this, there's two massive problems with that. that first, that's, that's not how life works. The author, Indy Wilson, says life, it, it's lived on a rising scale of difficulty. Right? Life, life is not getting easy for you. It's, it's always Increasing, And the, the example of that is, is now at 33, if I fail, the collateral damage is far worse than it would have been if I had failed at 25. And it will be far worse at 45 if I fail than if I fail now at 33. The stakes, they're always going up. The, the difficulty is always getting harder. And that's not to say that, that especially maybe those of you who are kids, that you shouldn't live well in the, the phase that you're in or that the, the later stages of life, those are more important than the stage of life down. That's not what I'm saying because if you're bad at being a 10-year-old, you're going to be bad at being a 15-year-old, right? And if you're bad at being 15, you're going to be bad at being 25. That's why each phase of life, it's important to be faithful in the place God has called us. And yet, what I would say is that the way life works, it shatters this American myth that if you want to really be alive, you should pursue your happiness, pursue what you want in life, build up a hedge of happiness around yourself to keep out things that you don't want to let in because the things that you don't want to get in, they're going to get in. You can build a hedge as high as you want. Your enemies are just going to grow taller and leap over anyway. And so that, that's not how life works, but I would even say, is that how you want life to work? Do you want life to get easier over time? I know that sounds good, but, but none of life works that way, right? I mean, think of, think of the video game industry. Right? The whole point of video games is they get harder as you progress, right? Who would play a video game if it just got easier the more you went on? No one would, and they wouldn't sell anything, which is why they make it harder. There's something human about us that wants to be challenged. Or think of a musician Right? You want to play the hardest pieces uh, as you go on, as you grow. You want to be challenged and suffer through the, 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 the reality of practice to be able to play more and more difficult pieces. Or think of your hobby, your own vocation, how you want to be continually challenged. That this idea that life should get easier as you get older, there are plenty of hints around you. That's not how life works. And that's not how it should work. I can't build a hedge of happiness around myself because whatever I want to keep out is going to get in. That's not how life works. And Jesus is hinting at that in, in point one when he says to Peter, listen, I have to suffer and die. That we can run from suffering as much as we want. We can run from pain as much as we want. But that's the story we live in. And so our aim in life should not be to build up a life for ourselves, But as Jesus says, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow after him. So the first is life works by spending. Your life is meant to be spent. 
But secondly, what Jesus is saying here, it's, it's not some, just some random spend your life on other people. Because people who do that, they get Messiah complexes. They start thinking that, that every burden around them is theirs to carry. And, and, and ultimately, that, that doesn't work either. That's my problem. I start thinking people need me. And that's not what Jesus is saying here. But Jesus isn't saying everyone around you needs you. You need to deny yourself for others. What he's saying is deny yourself for my kingdom. Spend your life on my kingdom. And so when he calls you to, to take up a cross, to lose your life, what he's saying is make my kingdom your first priority in life. That you as a, as a human being, you are not most fully alive when you're pursuing your happiness, your joys, your desires, your wants. You as a human being are most fully alive when you are pursuing my kingdom and my priorities and my desires. If you want to live, if you want to really be alive, you have to learn how to die to my kingdom. That's what Jesus is saying. So it raises the question, okay, what are his priorities? What is his kingdom about? And he told us last week, so I'm kind of dipping back into last week's passage because these two passages are, are deeply connected. But Jesus said two things in the passage before that are the two priorities of his kingdom. The first, that he's going to build his church. And secondly, that his church is going to storm the gates of hell. Those are the two orienting priorities of his kingdom, to first build his church, right? He said, I'm a Messiah, and as the Messiah, my first order of business is to found a church. And so I would, I would ask, echoing some of the questions Andrew asked last week, is the church a part of your priority? In your service, on your calendar, with your generosity? Andrew talked about this last week. The church was Jesus' idea, not, not the idea of some Christians who were bored and had nothing better to do with their time. It was Jesus' idea to found this church because priority two is we are called as agents of his kingdom to storm into the gates of hell right my life is meant to be spent and not consumed and what jesus is saying here cuts against the very dominant cultural narrative i've been told my whole life which is that my my whole life is to build up a good life for myself and jesus says no it's not it is to storm in to the gates of hell which raises the question for us this morning will Will you go with him in his church? For those of you who are kids, your students, as you think about what you want to do with your life post high school, into college and beyond, as you dream, don't just dream about what will most fulfill you. Dream about how, what does Jesus' kingdom want to accomplish in this world? Don't just dream about what you want to do, but what does he want to do? Don't just dream about your own happiness, but seeing the kingdom advance through whatever your life is. And that doesn't necessarily mean being in ministry. It could mean uh, a different vocational path. It could mean starting a business. It could be doing whatever it is you see God's kingdom at work among you. But make that a first priority as you progress into where God is taking you. And adults, as you, as you get older and your problems get more and more out of your control, don't run from that. Jesus is sort of letting you up for disappointment here, right? Welcome to my kingdom where the dominant image I want you to think of is a cross. And with a cross on your back, walking into hell. That's the image he gives us, right? Why do any of, any, why do any of us follow him? <laughs> and yet that's what he calls us to. So deny yourself, take up your cross, lose your life for the kingdom. That is, that is when you'll most be fully alive. And so all of it, I mean, look at the problems facing our current culture. Whether it's political corruption whether it is a broken economy, just frank dishonesty among our institutions and leaders, whether it's racism, whether it's injustice, 
It's the, the, the targeting of, of our first responders. We Christians should look all of that square in the face and not be surprised by any of it. Because what did Jesus say we as a church are called to do? It's to go into the hellish reality that surrounds and invades our world. And so we who live in, in, a, in a culture that's breaking down, a struggling economy, institutions that are breaking apart, may we as Christians run after that neither naively or, or hopelessly. Right? Let's, let's be people who start new businesses that create jobs for people to, to jumpstart our economy. Let's be people who cross racial lines seeking racial reconciliation. Let's be people who enter our law enforcement fully aware of the danger and fully hopeful of the possibility of doing good. Not naively, right? We're, we're walking into hellish reality. This is, we're not naive as Christians. The world has evil things to it. But secondly, we're not hopeless. Is when Jesus said, I'm going to storm the gates of hell. I'm going on a rescue mission and I'm going to die for it. He also says, and on the third day I'll be raised up. I'm not, I'm, I may, it may look like I'm going to lose, but I'm not. And so we, we walk. We storm the gates. Fully, fully hopeful and not naive. And maybe you hear that and think, that, that sounds exhausting. And it does, it is. And yet there's a choice before all of us. It's one Indy Wilson paints well in his book, Death by Living. And I just want to read his extended quote that I think packs well the choice that's in front of you and, and me every day of our lives. Here's what he says. He says, lay your life down. Your heartbeats cannot be hoarded. Your reservoir of breath is draining away. You're, you have hands, blister them while you can. You have bones, make them strain. They can carry nothing in the grave. You have lungs, let them spill with laughter. You have, I can be giving my fingers my back my mind, my works, my breaths to my wife and my children and my neighbors, I would add to the kingdom of God. Or I can grasp after the vapor and the vanity for myself, dragging my feet, afraid to die and therefore afraid to live. And like Adam, I will still die in the end. The choice before you and I is not, will we die? That choice has been made for us. The, the choice, the question before us is, what do we die for? ourselves and our kingdom? That's why Jesus asked this rhetorical question. What, what does it profit someone if they gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Let's say you build your kingdom, you get everything you want, you get everything your heart desires, and then you die, you lose it all. But Jesus says, live for my kingdom and you lose nothing. You, you, you get my victory with your death. So if you want to be alive, you have to learn how to die. You have to learn how to die. You have to see you're, you're living in the wrong story, right? Suffering is a part of our story. To spend our life on the right thing, number one priority for all of us, it's the kingdom of God. And thirdly, we see the gift in death. And I don't want, to miss, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm not saying death is a good thing and death's a part of life and all that. No, death is a horrible offense. It was never meant to be introduced into our existence, into our life. And yet there's something Jesus says here in verse 28 that I don't want us to miss. In verse 28, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And what Jesus says here to his disciples is, you, you get to live something that is not going to be true of most of the world. Right? For you, you're going to see the Son of Man coming in glory and then you're going to die. But that's not how it's going to be for most people. Now for most people, Jesus is implying it's death and then you see glory. It's suffering and then you get glory. And that's Jesus' own pattern, right? He goes to his cross, and then he gets his crown. 
He suffers under the, the, the chiefs, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, and then on the third day he's raised up. That is the pattern of life. When Jesus says you have to die in order to live, he's, he's saying that is the very pattern of life you're entering when you follow me is suffering and then glory. And if you understand that pattern, if you understand it's suffering and then glory, there's actually there's a gift, there's a hopefulness that comes out of that. Because what Jesus is saying is there is an end date, there is a finish line to all of your pain, all of your suffering, everything in life that wears you down. Now, I have a friend who in sixth grade, he, uh, he wanted to run, I think it was a faster than six minute mile. I can't remember what the exact time. It was a really fast mile for a sixth grader. That's all I remember. And, and his plan, his idea, his thought was, I'm going to eat as much sugar as I can right before I run. And then I'm going to have lots of energy. And then I'm going to run as hard as I can for the mile and try to beat six minutes. So he did that. He brought a bag of sugar with him to, uh, to gym. And he just starts eating it, like right before it's time to run. And he's just pounding the sugar down. The race comes, and he just runs hard. And he's like, I didn't stop. I didn't slow down. I just kept going as hard as I possibly could because I had six minutes or whatever the time was on my mind. And he just, he just ran, and he went for it. And, and when, it, when he wanted to slow down, he's like, it just has to be a mile. That's all I have to After a mile, I'm done. I'm finished. I don't have to run a mile and a quarter. I don't have to run 1.01 miles, just one mile. And so he goes, and he gets to the last stretch, and he pushes through. He, he runs all the way, finishes past the mile, beats six minutes and just falls to the ground and throws up everywhere. And I love that story for, for two reasons. Because it, it, it teaches two really good lessons that I think are at the heart of some of what Jesus is saying here. First is that there is a finish line. Right? So, so I, I would just, what, for you, what, what is causing you pain this morning? What wears you out? What do you look at in your life and say, I don't want to face that. I don't want to walk into that. I want to run from that. What are you suffering from this morning? What makes life hard for you? That, I would just encourage you, keep moving. Stagger on. You may only have a few days left to run. Maybe a few years. But there is a finish line. Don't stop running. Jesus promises to meet you there. All right, that's verse 27. And maybe to you that sounded a little scary. All right, Jesus says, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. And maybe you hear that and think, Jesus is going to get you, to, you're going to get to the end of the life, Jesus is going to look at you and say, All right, let's, let's look at everything you did. Let's look at the good, let's look at the bad, and let's see if you, you've earned me. But that's not what Jesus is saying, because he just told you how to be sure that you, you have your life, that you found your life, that you won't lose your soul. And it's simple, just lose your life for his sake. Give your life up to him. Give it to him in faith. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It doesn't mean you do everything just the right way. But if, if you have your life over to him in faith, then you can run the race knowing the finish line, at the finish line is grace and peace. That's good news if you're a Christian. And if you're not a Christian, it's an invitation. Jesus is inviting you to join his kingdom. And he's also warning you not to try to come to him on the basis of how good you think you are or how many good things you think you did. He's not interested in that. He's interested in your life and giving your life up to him. He's not interested in pieces of what you have to offer you, him. He's interested in the whole thing. And when you give it to him, even in your sin, he still meets you in Greece. Even in your failure, he still meets you with his kindness. And when he says, I will judge you on according to what you've done, what he's saying is, I'm going to judge you according to how you've responded to me. What you think of me. If you've given your life over to me. And so this passage should encourage you. That there's, a, there's an end to the finish line. There's a finish line to your race. Keep running. But secondly, we, we run 
not with, with, with a different finish line. Right, so my friend, he, he just thought of a mile. He didn't think about what happens after you get done with the mile and all that sugar action starts doing things, right? He didn't think past that for us. Our finish line is not our death, right? We think a billion years past that. And what that does for us, right, our, if our horizon's not 75 years or 80 years, but it is a billion years, then if that's true, as you run, as you spend your life for his kingdom, you can pull back and rest, Eternity is not dependent on you. The people's lives around you are not dependent on you. They are dependent on the Son of Man who is coming in glory. And you're an agent of his kingdom. And you can rest. You can pull back and rest. But Jesus doesn't just call you to take up your cross with him. Remember Matthew 11. He calls you to find your rest in him. Which means as you run, you you don't run alone. You run with someone running alongside you. The one who told you to take up your cross and follow him is running alongside you with a cross on, a back, on his back himself. And in that, we see the pattern for our own life. Because what, what made Jesus most alive? What made him at his greatest? When was Jesus at his greatest? When he was denying himself for his kingdom on a cross to get you and me in. And so that's the story you and I live in every day of our lives. And if you want to truly be alive, you have to learn how to die to his kingdom and for his sake. Let's pray.